What's up, guys? This is Daniel Burnett with TrainLikeARanger.com. Today I have James Tony back on the podcast. What's up, James? Hey, how's it going? It's been a while, dude. So our first, uh, you were the first podcast I've ever done. Oh, really? I didn't know I was, the, I didn't know I was your first. Yes, you were my first, dude. So welcome back. Me and James are good friends, so this is going to be uh, kind of more of a laid-back dynamic compared to what it usually is. Let me get this uh, get this cord out of the screen there. That looks crazy. So, uh, all right, dude, I, I've been getting this question all the time about, uh, about like, FO questions. So, you know, me, me and James were both FOs. If you guys uh, haven't seen our first podcast, we went really in-depth with our pipeline and kind of our stories and stuff like that. Uh, it's a, it was a fun podcast. So, you know, you guys, you guys can look into that, <clears throat> but we'll go over some, some other questions that I've been getting a lot and make sure we cover those. And that way, you know, whenever I get these common questions, I can, I can point to this video and it'll be in depth compared to what I can type up. So, uh, dude, how's the stream going by the way? It's going good. It's going good. I actually get the same questions, but usually it's me trying to uh, recruit the guys that want to be 11 series to the 13 series. Yeah. I was like, yeah, you know, I want to get the option 40. I want to be an 11 Bravo. And I'm like, well, have you heard of the 13 Fox? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it's usually not questions to me about 13 Foxes. It's usually me trying to make them want to be 13 Foxes instead of 11 series. So, but yeah, I guys come in all the time and ask me questions about it. And I always try to, give them a little bit of information and i also try to scare them a little bit with the fact that like they could be mortars and they're always like oh no <laughs> yeah so th that's a question i get a lot too <clears throat> that they're like should i be 11 bravo or 13 fox like you, you'd be surprised how many times i get that question um so in your opinion what is the difference between those two the main differences you can tell people so they know what the hell to expect uh yeah so i guess overarching um on like a big scale i think the biggest difference is uh agency over what's going on um it's one of the things that you don't have as an 11 bravo until you're at least a squad leader which is an e6 you know what i mean like you as a private e1 3 e4 you are literally doing exactly what you're being told to do the whole time you don't have a ton of agency you got to work with a ton of different people and things like that uh the amount of agency you have and the information that you have incoming through the radio, because you do have a radio, you actually know what's going on. You're walking with the PL or the commander, you know what I mean? So you have information that the 11 Bravos, they just don't have. So you'll actually have a lot more battlefield control is a strong word, but like knowledge across the entire battlefield of what's going on, uh, whether it's in training or on deployment, you have all of that information coming through you that you not only have to relay to people, but you actually get. So you actually know what's going on. The amount of times people come to you and ask you questions as an FO because you have a radio, they assume you know what's happening. They are just like, oh, okay, you have a radio, you know what's going on, right? What's happening? Where are we going? What's happening? Where's this happening? Um, and you're a FO RTO even as an E1, E2, E3. And like, you know what's going on. And there's team leaders and stuff that come up and ask you questions. Yeah, it's a lot of responsibility. Early on, you, you brief, uh, I was an E4 briefing the, uh, the, sergeant major and bc <laughs> like nerve-wracking oh. yeah. yeah that is one thing i tell them though you definitely do have to be a public speaker because you you know you're even platoon sergeants don't talk that much at those you know briefings and stuff like when we're going over the plans usually the, the officers that do most of the heavy lifting on that but as a fo like you do all of it your own for the fire section and you have to be able to kind of control what you're saying you have to know what you're saying have intimate knowledge and the ability to answer questions as well. So 
it comes with a little bit more agency, but I guess it does also come with a lot more responsibility. Yeah. Yeah. It's a lot of responsibility, a lot of things to learn. And, uh, and like you said, the, the jobs are just completely different. Like, you know, as far as battle drills and stuff like that goes, the 11 Bravos are going to be going over that kind of stuff more. Um, they're going to be pretty good with their weapon systems, things like that. But we have a lot more responsibility as far as what we need to know all around. Uh, again, public speaking at an early level, you're briefing people at a high level uh, whenever you're out training. And, and we're going to go into kind of the differences between like what to expect in regiment and, and the versus the conventional army, just kind of uh, just comprehensive type stuff. So, yeah, you got a lot of responsibility on the um, on the field, too. Like you got to you got to communicate with the platoon. You got to communicate with whatever assets you have available. You have to know what everybody's doing. You have to relay that to the aircraft. You have to tell people what they're seeing. You basically have to be the eyes for that's kind of kind of in the title forward observer. So you got to be the eyes for a lot of people. Well, yeah. And you also have to know you have to know what's going on. So you have to know when someone's clearing a room or going up on ladders so you can let everyone else know that can't see what's going on, whether it's aircraft or artillery or whatever. And you have all of that information that you're kind of, you're the, you're the middleman for the information coming from the assets to the ground troops and then back up. Yep. Yeah, it's a lot. And, and uh, so that's something to expect is the responsibility level is, is just different. Like uh, with a lot of those specialty MOSs, you know, uh, like medics, they get a lot, a lot of responsibility. Uh, we got a lot of responsibility. Um, as far as like the difference between, I, I've gotten this question a lot, like FO versus RTO. I've actually got that question a lot. And I'm like, yeah, it's two completely different things, but uh, that's, that's been a confusion point for some people too. Well, it doesn't help that we have FOs, FORTOs, also RTOs. And so, yeah, I can understand definitely how that's a little bit confusing, uh, but that is a dedicated MOS. Like you're going to have a commo guy who is a RTO or radio telephone operator. Um, so you will have not only a dedicated commo guy, he's going to be the RTO. He's going to be passing the information, like certain things that's not going to be your responsibility. Whereas you have your own separate set of responsibilities that both require a lot of radio talk and things like that. The main difference I think between an RTO and an FO is that RTOs really aren't expected to be ever sort of at all kind of involved in any portion of the fight. Um, just because they are very important. They have, you know, a bunch of extra combo equipment and things like that. Whereas the FO is kind of a mix of the infantryman and the RTO. It's kind of like that middle ground where you're expected to be very involved in the fight, but also make sure you're passing along all the information that you need to, um, whether it's up high or down, you know, from the assets, you know, to your PL or what have you. And then you also have your FORTO, who essentially is like the RTO or the combo guy for the FO. So if you have an FO on the ground with an FORTO, that FO can sometimes use the FORTO as like another person to pass information along um, while they're doing something else. Uh and RTOs are all still very important. Um, there are a diff bunch of different kind of combo guys, a bunch of different kinds of combo MOSs, but the ones that are actually on the ground, uh, the RTOs that are with you, um, will you'll actually know them really well. Between uh, the RTO and the medic and the FO are all usually kind of like 
the three people that are part of the platoon, but aren't also part of the platoon sometimes, depending on what's going on. So usually those are actually the guys you actually know the most when you're um, in a platoon as an FO. Yeah. Yeah, that's true. And, and I, I've been trying to, I tell people like, um, again, I, I keep it pretty general, but people ask kind of how a fire support team works. And I'll tell them about, you know, the JTAC, the FO, the FORTO. So that's kind of good. You went into that. Now, the difference between an FO and a JTAC is another question, talking point that I get a lot. <clears throat> so how would you describe that? Okay. Yeah. Actually, the uh, JTAC, what a JTAC does was actually one of my board questions when I was trying to get promoted. But uh, yeah, so a JTAC is most of the time uh, you're going to know them as Air Force uh, airmen. Uh, most of the JTACs you'll ever work with, uh, whether it's in you know special operations or the regular army, will be from the Air Force. That's where the job kind of stemmed from. Although you will see some army ones you know, throughout your time and things like that. The main difference is the level of control. So we talked about FOs having a little bit more agency than an 11 Bravo, uh, but there's things you can't specifically do as an army FO that you can do as a JTAC, whether you're air force or army. Um, so it's really just the, the level, essentially the level of clearance that you have to do certain things. Um, so there's some things that you're not gonna be allowed to do as an FO. So anytime something's really happening, technically you need to have the you know, the battlefield commander's approval for all you're doing as an FO. Uh, whereas the JTAC is almost like their own little battlefield commander. They can do a lot of things on their own um, and have a little bit more agency over what's going on that an FO can't do. Although there is a little bit of that middle ground from FO to JTAC with the JFO, uh, which is an army school that essentially gives you, lets you bridge the gap a little bit. Um, but still, the JTAC is going to have way more control over what's going on. They're also most of the time going to have way more knowledge than you about those assets, especially when they're coming from the Air Force, because they literally work with all of those pilots and aircrafts and things like that. Um, I, I'm struggling a little bit. I don't know exactly what I'm allowed to say about what a JTAC can do versus an FO. But when you're working with fixed wing aircraft, if you ever want them to do anything, most of the time you're going to need a JTAC approval. Yeah. Yeah. I think that's okay to cover. Um, and, and you know, I, I'm always, uh, I'm always kind of touchy about this stuff too. Like, what can I talk about? What can't I, but then, then again, you can get the J fire uh, online. Like I can, I can go get it right now. That's all. Yeah, there. that's true. That's true. <laughs> so, I'm like, uh, if, if people really want to dig for this information, it's there. Um, so, well, they used to know. say in, I think it was World War II, um, the Germans would say something along the lines of it, it doesn't help you to read U.S. military uh, books and TMs and stuff because, like, they don't use them. So they don't know what – you can't get information from them because that's not what we're doing. Right. Yeah, it's completely different. Um, yeah, so anyways, you know, I'm trying to try to – Air on the side of caution there, but I, I think that stuff's fine to cover. Again, usually, you know, whenever you're working in some sort of a team, you'll have the JTAC, you'll have an FO, and then you may have an FORTO, and you just kind of divvy up what's there. And I won't go too far into what's there, but we'll divvy up what is there, and the JTAC's going to be the overall arching uh, guy who's putting the stamp on on those things. And, of course, the, um, you know, ground force commander is going to be the guy also putting his his stamp. So you got that stamp. JTAC stamp and then everybody else is just there kind of to help. Yeah. And I mean, a fire support team is, is made very similarly to a infantry platoon. Uh, it just with less people. Uh, yeah. So you have someone who's essentially your platoon sergeant, someone who's like essentially your PL 
your FOs are like the squad leaders slash team leaders. Like it breaks down very similarly, uh, just with a lot less people. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's, that is one thing. So uh, a big difference between infantrymen and FO, especially because we are smaller and more specialized. Um, usually even when you're an FO or like an E5 and you're a team leader, uh, you only have one or two soldiers you're looking at for the most part you're looking after. Um, which some people are like, oh, you know, I want to lead more people than that. But it's really nice to be able to kind of focus on one or two guys. Um, you have the ability to really impact them as FOs and throughout their career a lot more when you only have, you know, you don't have to dedicate your time to seven or eight different people in your team. You have just those two. So you can really, really specialize and, and work on what they're bad at and what they're good at and things like that. So I think I had a little, I felt like I had a little bit more impact on my soldiers than some of the infantrymen uh, who are the same rank as me because they just had so many more people and it really made me feel like I was making more of a difference in those two soldiers careers than I did would have if I had seven soldiers beneath me. That's true. Yeah. You'd be a little bit more spread thin if you had more people, it's more responsibility to take care of more people. It's, it's nice to kind of focus on, you know, onesies, twosies. So same dynamic for um, it's, it's, it's weird how we, how we do things because the, FOs kind of group together, do their own sort of training, and then we pair up. Like we kind of divvy out and pair up with the, uh, the infantry guys to do that centralized, like combined training. So we have our own. And I try to explain that to people, like what the difference is between MOSs. I'm like, well, you kind of got your individual training, and then you have the group training that you do with everybody. Yeah, which sometimes I think because we did our own training, sometimes the infantrymen respect you a little bit less because. I will definitely agree. Sometimes their training is a little, it's not harder, but sometimes it's definitely like not as enjoyable to do. No, um, yeah, it's not. <laughs> so sometimes I felt like uh, medics and FOs, the joke is, you know, no one really cares about you. The infantrymen don't care about you like until they need you. And then you have to come and do your job really well and like help them out, but they don't care until they need you at that moment. Uh, medics are usually a little bit, you know, higher up on the list than FOs just because they you, they deal with the medics a little bit more often. Um, daily basis, yeah. Could yeah. Be. But for the most part, yeah, we did a lot of our, our own training um, separately because it does help us to be out with the infantrymen. It does help us to maneuver with them and things like that. But there's some things you don't learn out there with them that you need to be able to do when the time comes. Yep. Yep. It's just different. And, uh, and I do try to explain that like um, – you know, what I do like about regiment is everybody kind of funnels through the same uh, same training. Like we all go through the RASP, right? So there's some common ground there. Go All go to ranger school, uh, you know, eventually. And, and then there's some common ground there. So, you know, there's a lot of common ground uh, between those things. And, and, uh, and so there is some, like, there's some community there with that. So that's nice. Um, but yeah, it is different. Like whenever you get to, to regiment and, you know, you kind of, depending on your job, you fit the role of that job. So I try to explain that to people as well. Yeah. At the same time though, there's times where I, we would be loading up the buses and they would grab my, you know, plate carrier and they would drop it because they weren't expecting it to be so heavy just because <laughs> we have so much stuff that we carry around. Like sometimes I think they're just like, oh, they're just what they're just doing nothing over there. And I try to pick up my kit and they're like, Oh my Lord, you carry this around the whole time. Yeah. Yes. I carry that around the whole time. So like the only infantrymen that are really going to um, have more stuff than you are the dudes on the guns. Yeah. Uh, other than that, you're carrying in more weight than all the infantrymen 
uh, the only people that really care more than us are going to be the the mortarmen. Yeah, it sucks. Uh, I, I remember a guy on the back of the truck throwing up kits. He was grabbing the infantry guy's kits. He was throwing it up, throwing it up. And I went to hand him mine and he almost fell out of the back of the truck. And I started laughing. I was like, yeah, yeah, they just don't me, understand. Call me, call me radio now, bitch. <laughs> <laughs> no, but yeah, it sucks, man. It's like a kit with all the all the gear and stuff. That's like um, seventy pounds. Yeah, and you have to have it all right so you can reach it. I know you got a little arm, so you probably had everything up <laughs> on the front. So, <laughs> God. Uh, but yeah, so it's it can be tough, um, and sometimes. Listen, infantrymen, no matter where you go, whether it's in the Marines or the Army, like they're going to try to make you feel less than them because you're not an infantryman. But it's like people with the work, with the uh, the the shittiest jobs always try to make it like, uh, you know, not you're not in this. So, you know, yeah, struggle, you know, yeah, you didn't you haven't suffered like I've suffered. OK, <laughs> yeah. Um, but no. Yeah. So like they'll try to act like that. But honestly, you do like when you guys are out doing actual training together, like you're doing all the same stuff that they're doing. Um, if you do go through rasp and go to regiment, like you do all the, the shooting drills and all of the battle drill drills and things like that. Um, so, and, and there's a lot of things that you need to learn that are more knowledge based than, than 11 bravos. So they think that you're less than them because you're going somewhere else to do your own training. But you know, if you handed them a book that you have to know in and out, like they would just, they wouldn't know what they were doing with it. Yeah. Like some of the hardest classes I've ever taught were trying to teach infantrymen how to use radios or call for fire. I can't tell you how many times, you know, they'll, they'll ask you like, what's up with, the, with my radio? And then you turn it on <laughs> or something like that. It's like, yeah, you got to turn it on, dude. Uh, step one, just shit like that. But, uh, but let's talk about this, dude. Let's talk about this real quick. Um, you have uh, people convinced that I am a uh, five foot three, dude. Every time uh, I start a stream, Thomas I don't have no, to convince stop, anyone. Stop it's it. the truth. I don't no, understand. Don't, don't do this on my stream. Listen, guys, I'm, I'm, this is serious. All right. This is the most serious mm. thing we're going to cover in this podcast. I'm 5'9. Don't let this guy. Don't like, let this what, guy. When we started, what he does is he like don't let him raises dwarf, his dude. chair all the way up and he, he tries <laughs> no. to shrink everything in the room behind him. Dude, every stream. I saw uh, him Tom, moving stuff down. No, no, no. Don't, <laughs> don't listen to this guy. Every stream, Thomas, Thomas, congrats. You made it on a podcast, dude. Every stream, Thomas comes in there and he's like, so what's it like being in regiment at 5'3"? At I'm like, no, get the hell out of here, Thomas. Did you tell him it was really hard? No. People need to know your story. No, dude, listen. <laughs> dude, I think that's a lot of those uh, those questions, though. Oh, yeah. No, no, I do got one more. What's the difference between being an FO in the conventional army versus regiment? Uh, everything? Um, it's, it's a lot different. So... I would say that when you're in regiment, the main thing is when you're in regiment, you focus on um, mostly aircraft, whether it's rotary wing or fixed wing. And you have like a little bit of artillery knowledge on the side with some mortars splashed in. And it's the exact opposite when you get to the regular army. So in the army, it, the regular army, it's more mortars and artillery with like a tiny splash of aircraft. And it was a very, very hard transition for me. I showed up and we were doing a fist certification. So every year you have to certify in your job, recertify in your job. And it's actually pretty stressful and difficult. Um, you have to go through a bunch of different call fires, bunch of, you have to take written tests and all of this stuff, land nav, everything like that. 
And um, I showed up and I was there like a week and they had wanted me to do a fist cert. And they were, they were telling me these artillery missions that I had, I'd never even heard of. And I was like, I, I don't know how to do that. And, yeah. like, and they were, they, they thought I was stupid for a second. And I was, like, if you, I was like, listen, if you just teach me how to do it really quickly, I can do it. I just, I've just never done it before. Um, and like one with, you know, like using illumination and stuff like that. Just things that I just, I was, I didn't know what I was doing. Um, but I was like, listen, you want to, you know, just throw some aircraft up there. Uh, we do those all day just yes. because we just didn't do a lot of it. And it's tough. Cause like as not as good as artillery is, and it's, it's really, a, really an effective, you know, machine. It can only go so far away. So like when you're, you know, overseas somewhere and you're not really close to where they're placed, like you can't use them. You know what I mean? They only shoot so far, which is pretty far, but sometimes you have issues like that. So it just wasn't our focus in regiment. Whereas in the regular army, it was their focus. So I shot, you know, more artillery rounds than you could imagine when I was in, you know, the regular army. Uh, another thing is the uh, regular army. I actually, I worked with more th other 13 series. So I knew way more Bravos and Deltas and all of the artillery guys that we don't have, you know, that we don't know in regiment. We don't know the Bravos and the Deltas and stuff like that. They don't <clears> exist. <throat> they come from other places. Exactly. We just have artillery. Yeah. We use whoever is around or available. So getting to know some of the actual like artillery ins and outs and like more things about the guns and things like that. Like I was probably the most well-rounded FO because I did do time with regiment and the regular army. Um, I think that it made me so much more effective at utilizing all the assets I was going to have available at any given time because I was able to learn and do more things in the regular army, which sounds weird that I was doing more things in the regular army than in special operations, but they're just different things. So the focus was definitely different and it was, they were narrow. The scopes were narrow at each place, but they were just different. So I was able to kind of widen my scope of knowledge because I had both narrows to put together. Yeah, that's a good point. There's a lot of there's a lot of people at even the JTAC level who when artillery comes into play, they're like, oh shit, I gotta brush up. You know what I mean? Because like exactly in regiment, that's not like highly emphasized the artillery. It is kind of similar. The formats and stuff are similar to mortar, uh working with mortars, but there's a lot of different variables in there whenever you work with artillery. Well, yeah, I mean the size of the mortars are smaller usually that we worked with and things like that. Um and I guess the I'm trying to think about it, phrases. The way we were organized is a little bit different too. So when we were in regiment, we're a little bit more close. We're a lot closer with the infantrymen than I was when I was in the regular army. I didn't really work with the infantrymen unless like they really needed us to go on that training mission with them. If they didn't, I just didn't go and I continued to work with my guys. So in regiment, we were kind of all in the same place, but sort of did different stuff. I was like in a different place in the regular army. Like I wasn't even like in their company areas and stuff. So I was able to do more of our own, you know, FO training, which I would say was a good thing. Sometimes it made the FOs a little bit better at what they do um, in terms of like what they used to do back in like Vietnam and stuff when they would just sit on a hill and shoot things with artillery. Yeah. Nowadays, I think it was, not as ideal since we didn't really we weren't as close with the infantrymen that we were going to be working with so there's a lot of like tactics and sops and stuff that we almost needed to relearn every time we went over there um whereas in regiment i feel like we were there kind of all the time and when things changed we changed with them because we were right there right so there was definitely a gap 
that we had to bridge every time we worked with them. And I think that the FOs that I worked with were better, more well-trained in specific FO things, but they were a little bit worse off when it came to, you know, doing the stuff with the infantrymen. Right. Do you feel like they knew infantry, like battle drills, stuff like that? Do you feel like the conventional guys knew that? Uh, I feel like my guys knew it, but for the most part, no, because I made sure to do stuff with them to make sure that they at least had some of those skills. So when we'd be out at the OP and the artillery guns were out of um, out of rounds or something, we would do battle drills and stuff, you know, off in the woods of the OP because I knew they were going to need that information and they might not be actually doing the battle drills but they need to know what the guys were doing when they were doing them they need to know how they're moving and where they're moving and things like that so if they're setting up you know a battle drill six or whatever they need to know how they're going to be doing it so they can know where everyone is going to be if they ever need to call for fire they need to know exactly where everyone is going to be according to how they do things right and i always get this question speaking of you know bd6 uh, people were always like, are, are FOs clearing rooms? I get that all the time. And I'm like, not really. It's not really. <clears throat> it depends. I mean, the FO RTOs have a little bit more leeway to kind of do some of the, you know, quote unquote fun things that people would consider and things like that. Um, but for the most part, no, not really. You're kind of, that's one of those agency things that come up. So while that's happening, you're controlling everything else yeah. that's going on around so like you not, might not be in there directly, but you're doing everything else on the outside. So like the whole scope of what's happening is going through you at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Focus is different. So to clarify that question, it's not ideal uh, for us to be doing that. I'm not saying it hasn't happened. Like there's been rare cases where, you know, say it might, it might happen, but, um, but it's not ideal. Yeah. I mean, I would say no for the most part, but it also depends on, you know, no one cleared rooms in World War II. You know what I mean? It depends on where we are and what's happening and where the war is and who we're fighting. Like, sometimes there's no room clearing. You know what I mean? Like, if we went to war with a conventional army like Russia or China or something, like, there's no room clearing in no, Russia or China. You know what I mean? Yeah. So, depending on what's coming up and what's happening now, um, you know, obviously everything that would happen with Syria or whatever, like sometimes there's not going to be room clearing to do when we're fighting an actual conventional army or a more organized army, you won't be room clearing. You're only going to be room clearing really if you're fighting more of a guerrilla style warfare, which is what we've been fighting for the most part in, in the war on terror. Yeah. So like there not, might not be rooms to clear soon. So just keep that in mind as well. Yeah. All right. So what advice do you have for people going into the military in general? Uh, in general, obviously, we talked a lot about that in our first podcast. Um, but someone actually asked me in my stream the other day, they asked me, how easy is it to make uh, friends in, you know, like how competitive is, is RASP, for example, or how competitive is it going to be to get into the army? Like, should I not be making friends? Should I not be helping people? Things like that. Um, and I said this in the last podcast, I'll say it again. Listen, you need to make friends like you can't be out there alone. It, you're just going to struggle. And there's there's no competition in the sense that like there's not only so many spots. It's not like trying to make a football team. You know what I mean? It's not like that list is going to they're going to cut people out because they have to. They're only going to cut people out if they don't make the cut. So just remember that 
it's not going to hurt you if you're already like doing well enough to help someone else out. It's not going to hurt you. It's not going to lower your chances of getting through, whether it's basic or AIT or airborne school or pre-RASP or RASP or any of that stuff. It's not going to hurt you to help people and it's not going to hurt you to receive help. And yeah. helping people actually shows good leadership skills. You know, leaders in the army shouldn't just be, you know, negatively enforcing things to younger soldiers. You know what I mean? Like helping people out is part of being a leader in the military, whether you're an E1 or you're an E5. You know what I mean? So that's all very important. Uh, honestly, any of you guys watching these podcasts or doing any of these workouts that Train Like a Ranger has on his uh, website, you're already, you know, miles ahead of where I was. So, you know, anything you're trying to do now beforehand is just going to help you so much in the long run. Um, I was very unprepared. And any preparation you guys can do mentally and physically before you go in is going to is going to help you so much more than you can fathom right now. And like if you might not want to go on run or you might not want to go work out, but like that's all going to pay off later. I promise you. So you're going to be sucking a little bit less on some of those things. And if, yeah, no, I should have done more work going in, but, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I think knowing what you want to, I know uh, when I joined, I didn't really know what I was getting myself into. Um, and I was able to get an option 40 contract you know, fairly easily, you know, it was kind of a long time ago. Now I'm getting old, but um, there was more stuff going on. So I know that they are a little bit harder to get. Um, so don't be afraid to to talk to the recruiters a little early. Don't be afraid to, you know, wait out if you can, um, because you don't have to go right then. I know a lot of you guys want to go after high school, but you, you can always wait a couple of months and you don't have to leave right away if you can get something better down the line. Yeah. Um, also, keep in mind, if you can't get an option 40, and a lot of you guys are looking for special operations, they, they're fairly easy to get if you're capable. Um, you can volunteer, you know, at basic AIT, OSIT, if you're 11 series. Um, and you can also go from a regular army unit. Like, I've sent guys to RASP from the regular army units before, too. So just because you can't get an option 40 doesn't mean your only chance to go to regiment is gone. And I know guys come in and they talk about, I don't want to be an import. I don't want to be an import. Okay. First of all, my first team leader was an import. It's really not the big of a deal. You're going to get shit talked to you either way. So whether it's about being an import. Yeah. So whether you're an import or not, they're going to make fun of you for something, you know, you know, Danny's five foot three. So (laughs) you're going to get made fun of for something. All right. So, um, so, and if you, if you go in as a, as a E3 or an E4 and you're from a different unit, you're not even an import. They don't really call you an import unless you're an NCO. Um, Cause if you come to them as a private or an E4, you're a private. That's just what you are. Whether you came from wherever you're just a private to them. It doesn't matter where you came from. Right. <clears throat> so don't be afraid of, of playing the long game a little bit. And if you really want to serve in the military, like the, the regular army is not so bad and you can probably easily get an airborne contract, go to the 82nd where they love sending dudes to RASP and they like sending guys to ranger school and stuff like that. So just keep that in mind that it, like, it doesn't just stop because you can't get an option 40. Right. I just yeah. people ask me that all the time. They uh, apparently after forties are a little bit scarce because of uh, everything going on with COVID. They kind of pushed all the classes back, so their numbers are technically like overdone because they have people waiting to go. So it's kind of like flushing out now as they kind of got back into the swing of things. Uh, but it's just it's not the end of the line. So, right. Yeah, it, you hit a bunch of good points. So I'm going to kind of double down on it. Like people, people need connections. No, everybody everybody you you can take the worst like you can take the worst people the hardest people 
the people in maximum security prisons and, and think the worst thing you can do to those people is put them in isolation. <laughs> They're among, you know, murderers and, and uh, rapists. And the worst thing that you can do to them is put them in isolation. People need connections. So, you know, make sure that you're forming a good support system. Like, uh, to be honest, like, you know, make sure you're forming your good group, your good friends, making positive connections, because there's going to be shitbirds in there, too. I mean, I'll, I'll just keep it blunt with you guys. There's going to be shitbirds who, who get in there and then and they're going to be uh, toxic to you. So you still got to find uh, find your good support system and and uh, and make it through and and uh, make it up, make it a good constructive environment for you. Um, so as far as being unprepared, yeah, I can definitely relate. I, uh, you know, I talk about it all the time. I thought first time I saw that combat action badge, I was like, that's a, that's a knife kill. I, I, that's what I thought that meant. And, uh, you know, I talk about these on all my podcasts. Man, you must've thought that people had a lot of knife kills. I did. I was like, it's going to be insane, dude. <laughs> I figured it out, but you know, I, I didn't know what the hell was going on. Me, me and you were in the same boat. Cause you know, if you watch our first podcast, we're in the same pipeline together. Um, anyways, uh, you know, like we, we did it all together. We were both confused as hell. And, um, also don't let these recruiters yank you around. Uh, don't let them bully you. This is your contract. This is on your terms. So, you know, it's still until, until you sign the dotted line, it's, it's your path that you're creating for yourself. Once they, once you sign that line though, you're signing your life away. They got you. So make sure that you enter on your terms and that you're picking the job that you want and that it's, it's the contract you want the option 40, if that's what you want, you know, push for that option 40 and get a second opinion, make sure. Cause you know, I'll hear some people get told ah, we don't have them available. And then the next day, somebody also will send me like a screenshot and say, Hey, I got this option 40 and, uh, and I'm good to go. So, you know, just uh, make sure it's on your terms. Yeah. And I have heard some recruiters, some people that they don't do them anymore, uh, which is absurd. So I've reached out to some of my recruiter friends and stuff like that. I have a lot of my peers uh, that are in like their, you know, recruiter drill sergeant area. Uh, So that's not true. They just, they get them when they get them. So, sometimes you got it like recruiters annoy people annoy them keep calling call them every day if you have to like call them they'll just randomly get them and then they're gonna go quick so just you know keep up with if you get that's why i tell some of these guys to get through with a recruiter early so that you can get a connection with that recruiter and then they can kind of let you know when they have contracts and stuff like that like hey let me know when you get option 40s and i'll come down and we can talk about it um because my recruiter was a 13 fox and he said, he was like, listen, he's like option 40 contract going to regiment. He's like, this is pretty much like the best trajectory for a 13 Fox, like this MOS. And uh, that's one of the reasons I did it. <clears throat> so I would get with these guys early um, and make sure you keep in touch with them. So you can figure out what exactly is going on. And if they do get option 40s, make sure that you're one of the first people they call. Yeah. Some of these guys are tuned in, man. They're, they're here for the podcasts. They're here asking questions and not that that's the whole, the whole scope of my business. Like, you know, obviously I've said this before, I'm trying to, um, trying to kind of reach a whole variety of people, but if I have this knowledge and it helps a bunch of people, then I have no issue covering it, you know, and I'm glad you came on here and, and we talk about this stuff. Cause you know, we have that information. Why, why suppress it, especially if it's non-compromising and it's helpful. Um, you know, we're helping a lot of people doing this. You guys are on track. You guys are doing good things. And, uh, and you guys getting on the fitness programs, like, and you're you're miles and bounds ahead of uh, both of us. Oh yeah, for yeah, I was in rough shape. Yeah, yeah, you were. 
I'm still in rough shape, but. <laughs> Thomas was uh, ragging on your push-ups, by the way. First of all, I do good push-ups. He said, he said you do like a good 10 push-ups. Okay, that's going to be fair. <laughs> maybe, maybe I'll clip some and, and find out. I'll watch my form. I'll, I'll coach myself. <clears throat> I got a, Thomas for, for proof. I got a, instructional videos on the push-up if you need to watch them. <clears throat> yeah, but like you're so close to the ground already that it doesn't work for me. You know what I mean? Oh, dude. Uh, yeah, dude. So, uh, also, what advice do you have for people transitioning out of the military? We kind of talked about this. You know, you, you, uh, I won't cover much of it, but we had, uh, you know, we know people who have had hard times. And so, you know, that we've had to reach out and talk to. And so, you know, that being said, like, it's sometimes the transition's kind of hard for people. You know, we've talked about our own difficulties in the transition. And a lot of people think I just got out and started succeeding because they see what I post, what I show them. And they're like, man, this guy's killing it. But I've had my low points too. Like uh, it's definitely a whole different transition, especially when you go in young and you experience all that and then you get out and, and just a totally different change of pace and life. And, and uh, so what advice do you have for people transitioning? From the military to civilian. Yeah, that's tough, uh, especially right now. Um, man, I feel bad for anybody who's trying to get out during all this. I mean, there was nothing to transition to. Yeah. Um, so for transitioning from the service, whether you're in for four, I was in for, you know, seven. Uh, it's going to be tough, especially when you're, you know, one of these guys who wants to be an 11 series or a 13 series or some kind of combat MOS, even a 68 series. Um it's tough. Not a lot of that knowledge is applicable. I would say the medic is probably the most applicable outside if you want to be a nurse or an EMT or something like that. Um, but it's tough to find things that are you can apply all of the knowledge that you've gained over the four years because you know, sometimes I wake up and I just have stuff in my head that's just worthless to me now. Like that's never gonna be helpful to me ever again. Yeah. Um, so what I, I think I would I didn't because I got medically retired. So I was a little bit um, kind of thrown into my transition. I would make sure if you don't plan to sign another contract, you need a year out, like you need to be figuring out what you're going to do. You need to have a plan. Same way you're trying to have a plan for joining up. You need to have a plan for getting out, which I didn't have. And it was painful at first. Um, you need to figure out if you're going to go to school. You need to figure out if you want to have a job lined up. Because I know guys that get out and they, they go home to a job. Okay, because they did their due diligence, they did the work, they got set up and they had a plan for when they got out. And that's going to help you tremendously. And I know right now, if you were getting out of the army right now, it'd be a nightmare. So hopefully, so the guys that haven't joined yet and are going to join are, you know, early on their contracts. Um, hopefully, this is all blown over by the time you have to go through this, because it's hard to find a job right now for everyone. Um, so I would just figure out what you want to do, because I went back to school for a little bit. And I changed my major a couple times because I just couldn't figure out, you know, what was going to keep me engaged, you know. So I went for computer science and I was going to code and I was sitting at my computer and I was like, I can't, I can't do this for the rest of my life. So I changed my major. And so I finally settled on history education because I thought that that was probably the best use for, you know, the things that I had. I was, I like teaching people in the army. You know, I really love history. Even if it's military, I can, you know, learn the other stuff. And that's what I had decided on. And Having that, if I would have had all of this mapped out in my head before I transitioned out of the army, I would be miles and leagues ahead of where I am right now. But some people don't 
you know, sometimes school is not for you. Um, you know, obviously Danny went and he's doing train like a ranger, you know, started his own business. Um, you know, those are options as well, especially if you, if you're good with your money while you're in and things like that, it just, it's hard for me to give you a plan for transition because it really depends on who you are and how you want to do things and how you want to live your life. Um, but I will say it's very tough and no matter what you need to absolutely 100% be prepared. You need to have a plan. And you need to be ready for your transition before it's a month away. Like you don't need to be a month away from your ETS trying to figure out what you're going to do. Like you need to, you need to prep for that beforehand because you'll learn like in the army, you're going to hate when people don't make good plans and then things get thrown together at the last minute and you're just going to frustrate you. So think about doing that with your whole life, just immediately trying to plan everything out at once. You need to make a plan and be prepared, you know, be good with your money when you're getting out, you know, save some for that transition. Uh, I liked, I saved up a ton of my leave days. So for 45 days, I was out, you know, doing things, planning things, getting things together while still getting a paycheck, which helped tremendously. Um, it's tough. I mean, having a plan, I think is going to help you the most. Yeah. Yeah. It's very important. The transition's huge. And I think a lot of guys who go in at 18 and, Maybe they're going to be in for a number of years or even a lifer. They don't really understand how big that transition is. So you've got guys who are getting into leadership position. They're not allowing their guys enough time to figure that out. So, you know, my advice to guys is sometimes dudes aren't really going to understand how big that transition is. You need to understand how big it is. You need to start planning for it, regardless of if they're going to give you the okay, because sometimes you can't really control what they're going to allow you to do. You need to uh, you need to be paying attention to that stuff, make a plan despite your circumstance, because it's going to be a big transition. And and also things are going to change. Like, you know, I got out, I was going to be a PT, you know, as, as Tony knows. And then, uh, and then I switched to PA and then I was going to go to med school. Like my plans kept changing. And then I got my degree and I decided I was tired of school. I started business. And now here we are trained like a ranger. Right. But uh, yeah. So, you know, I got my undergrad degree, decided to start a business, you know, so your plans can change and, and you kind of got to adapt to whatever's out there, but, you know, you got this major decision bias. There's so many routes that you can go. And that's kind of, I think that's where a lot of people struggle is they go from, you know, they're going to tell me what I need to do next. I know what my path is. This path is laid out for me. When you get out, there's not a laid out path. You have to create that for yourself. And I think that throws a lot of people off because they don't know where to go. They want somebody to tell them what to do. And there's not going to be anybody there to do that. You need to do it for yourself. And that's difficult. Yeah. And there are also things... <sighs> One thing that I'll say is transition or not transition, there are things that the army offers you that can help you that for some reason people look down upon, um, like going to a doctor. But um, for the most part, there are there are tools and people and things that they get paid a lot of money to help you do certain things, you know, whether it's to try to take college courses while you're in all of these things that help you get out you can utilize those and people like hate on some of that stuff, but they're helpful. You know what I mean? It's always the guy that's wants to stay in for 20. Who's talking about, you know, how dumb college courses are or how dumb the ACAP process is and stuff like that. It's the guy who's going to stay in for 20 and doesn't ever have to deal with that. That's really going to, really going to give you pushback, but you need to utilize a lot of those resources. It'll help you out tremendously when you're getting out. Um, the ACAP process is all already like two weeks long at this point. Um, I know when I did it, they brought in a, Department of Labor uh, for like a week long class. This guy from the Department of Labor came in and talked about resumes and interviews and all of that stuff uh, transitioning into like the normal workforce. Talked about 
how you can change, you know, army words to business words to make your resume sound a little bit more uh, normal for civilians. Cause you know, the stories of, you know, Navy SEALs trying to go get jobs and, you know, they say they're going to attack problems and things like that. They just sound really overly aggressive. Um, so some of that stuff really does help on that transition. So make sure that you are paying attention in those as boring as some of those classes can be like a lot of the resources that you're going to get and have the ability to use are going to help you tremendously. And you don't need to shy away from them just because people think they're stupid because they're really helpful. Yeah. Cause you got to remember, everybody's got different focuses. So the guy who is all about the military and, and that's going to be all he ever does. He's not worried about that other stuff. And so to him, that's going to all sound uh, not necessarily taboo, but if you have kind of like this other layout, like you're going to, you're going to serve your time in the military, nothing wrong with serving your time in the military, getting out and, and taking those experiences elsewhere. But you know, that being said, uh, ACAP super helpful. And, and there's a whole bunch of things out there to help you uh, as a, as a veteran, I can tell you like, the benefits are amazing. If you know where to look, they're everywhere. They're everywhere. Those benefits are everywhere. Um, <clears throat> serving was one of the best things I ever did for for myself. You know, as long as you can figure out how to transition and uh, how to keep it moving, you know, uh, I see a lot of guys kind of kind of do their time in the military, and that's the staple of their entire life. And then, you know, the progression seems like it kind of stops. So, you know, um, let it let it continue to help you. You know. I, I always talk about having my past as a motor to succeed going forward. You know, there's all sorts of resources out there and there's all sorts of benefits to being a veteran and, and doing your time in the military. And, uh, and also a resume. I'm glad you covered that resume is just like um, a sales pitch for yourself. Like you can make some dumb stuff sound really good. So yeah, pay attention to the resume stuff that that'll be super helpful. Yeah. When you're transitioning, uh, make sure don't ever let the, your military service be, like the, your personality, like that doesn't need to be who you are as a human being all the time. You know what I mean? Like you have other interests and things like that. Like you don't always need to be just the guy from the military. Sounds pretty taboo from the train, like a ranger guy, but, uh, (laughs) (laughs) but, uh, you know, that's a very good point. It's a very good point. You know, you gotta, you gotta continue to be your own person if you're going to succeed going forward. Yeah, absolutely. What focuses should people have to stay, like mentally healthy beyond the military as well. I think we're kind of covering that, but yeah. So, I mean, after you get out, um, there's a lot of things you should be doing to stay mentally healthy in, but um, definitely during transition, things are, things are tough. Um, There's a couple of things that really hit you really hard. And it's the fact that while you're in the military, like you get friends, whether you want them or not, like you are just forced into groups of people and for the most part, you have pretty like-minded people. So you, you always have people that are like you around you all the time, no matter what you're doing, whether it's basic AIT, pre-RASP, RASP, your unit, regular army, special operations. Like there's going to be dudes around you, whether you want them to be or not, that are like you and that are going to be your friends that you're going to talk to all the time. And that is not what it's like when you get out, especially when you get out at, you know, for me, I got out when I was 26, you know, and I went to college for a little bit and. Like, what am I supposed to talk to 18-year-old, 19-year-old kids about when I'm 26, going on 27, 28 years old? It's tough. It's tough to find friends. Um, You have to make sure that you are reaching out to people that you know, people that care about you, your friends, your family, and things like that. You can't just – I'm a terrible, terrible communicator. Like, I'm bad at calling my friends, texting, all of it. But, like, you have to really work on – 
getting in contact with people, talking to them, keeping in touch, uh, you know, talk on the phone, you know, everything, every little bit helps because you can start to feel really alone, especially I know guys who they get out and they move somewhere because they wanted to go to this college. That's not where they know anybody. And it's tough to make friends when you're older and your life is just so much different than everybody else's around you. You know, you don't have guys that you got to work with every day who also went through all of the same, you know, difficult or crappy stuff that you have um, that kind of brings you together. You know, you're at work wherever you work with, you know, Todd who went to business school for accounting and now works at the same company. They just, it's hard to really get those connections that you had. And honestly, as much as I hate to say it, like you're never going to have those connections again. This is not going to be the same. Um, so you need to keep in contact with, with buddies that you had, um, family, friends, loved ones. You, you just really need to do a good job about reaching out because people get busy. Like there's months go by and I'm like, man, I haven't talked to them in like a couple of weeks and it's been six months because it just, everything goes by so fast and you don't realize that you've just been doing the same thing for six months and you haven't gone out with a friend or talked to anybody on the phone and you just start to feel really alone. So you really, really got to keep that, those friendships and things and like reach out to people all the time. Because if you don't, you just, it's hard to really connect with people the same way you did when you were in. Yeah. Going back to what we said earlier, that isolation is a killer. So you know, uh, finding finding a sense of communities was very hard for me as well. I got out. I was very driven. I wanted to succeed out in the new world. I, I thought now first you get that fresh that honeymoon phase, that fresh breath of freedom. You're like, oh, I can do and go wherever I want. This is awesome. And then you go places and people can't relate to you. Like, again, you know, I went in barely 18 and uh, did my stint there. So when I first got out, I really didn't know how to relate to people. I talked about the military and you could feel it. Like as soon as you start trying to relate something military related and somebody wasn't in the military, they're like, okay, I don't, they don't just didn't understand. So, you know, trying to learn how to relate to people elsewhere. Like you have to build like a whole nother, you know, sense of relatability. Like you have to build a whole new person and that's hard. That's transition. So, you know, that's, uh, that was tough and, and, uh, still is tough. I'm not going to lie. Like, you know, I have friends now, but it took time. Like it takes time for me to make friends now. Again, we're not trapped in this, in the same box. Like, uh, like I was stuck with Tony for entirely too long and, and eventually ended up, uh, hanging out with him. So, you know what I mean? Like that doesn't happen anymore. And there's a lot of people it's hard to relate to. It's hard to kind of, kind of let people in and, and, uh, you know, it's, uh, it's just different. So, you know, I was doing some things right, like physical activity. I've always been physically active. That's one good thing to uh, to boost your your mental health. But you also need community and a sense of purpose. I think I think those three things are are the biggest things. Like I've spent a long time trying to figure this out. So I think those are my big three: is the physical activity, the sense of community, and purpose. And we were talking about this, like getting together and like starting to bring some old friends back and doing something on a somewhat routine basis to where we kind of link up again. Cause I haven't had, I haven't had friends like you guys since. And that, and that's the truth. Like, it's just, I've had, I have good friends now and, but it's just, you know, the type of friendship to where you drove, you know, a long, long distance, go help somebody out recently that we know. Yeah. And entirely on a whim, on a whim, you did that. I couldn't think of very many people that I would hop in a car and drive 12 hours for to go help them out. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's just, it's just different. 
Yeah, and then also uh, something on that as well. When you're still in, like when some of your buddies get out, like make sure you're reaching out to those dudes too, even while you're still in, you know, make sure they're good. You know what I mean? Um, Because that's a big thing too. I mean, sometimes you have the tendency to like move units or whatever, and like you just, okay, those people are gone. Now I have these new people to talk to. But it's always good to check in on people even while you're still in, uh, if they got out to make sure that they're doing good. Because you can, you know, you can reach out from your end as well. Yeah. Yeah, it's important. So um, that's uh, that's that, dude. I'm uh, I'm like slow tracking today, most days, but you know today especially. Yeah. Uh, just to, thought this was normal, normal Daniel speed. Dude, stop it! <laughs> but, He's got really short legs, so it takes him a long. God damn it! Uh, all right, hey, dude, how's the how's the um, how is the stream going dude like we need to get people funneled to you uh through this podcast if you guys don't know he does uh he does streaming so we're gonna get people your way i do i do jt gaming uh link should be down below as long as danny's not too mad about the height jokes um but yeah you know i'm live uh, monday tuesday thursday and saturdays uh, i have a bunch of guys that are trying to get option 40 contracts i have a bunch of guys from the army that watch my stream that help answer questions um, from the regular army, from airborne, some guys from special operations that are different from regiment. Um, I answer a ton of questions. Um, so yeah, feel free to drop in when I'm live, ask whatever questions you want. Um, I'll actually give uh, Danny my discord as well. I have the discord with a section for pipeline questions where people can chime in and ask whatever questions they want. And then I'll answer or some of the other people that have already gone through it will answer. Um, but yeah, you know, we just hang out. I just chat sometimes, uh, just answer some questions. Um, I play a bunch of different video games. Um, if you did tune in uh, for a train like a Rangers stream when he played Warzone, I promise I'm like much better than him. <laughs> so it won't be as painful to watch. I promise. That's rude, but he's not wrong. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I'll probably try to get uh, train like a Ranger on my stream and for some Warzone, and he does some tournaments and stuff. We might stream some of those as well. So keep your eye out for that. Yeah, that'll be good. So, all right, all right, James, thanks for coming on, dude. We'll go ahead and, and wrap it up there. Uh, you guys, you guys, thanks for listening. Hope you guys have a great day and take care.